This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week TV podcast. I'm James Manning. Joining me as he does every fortnight there or so, Andrew Mercado, welcome back. Hi, James. Uh, Very interesting time of the year in TV. We've come out of the Easter radio ratings break, if you like. A bunch of shows just about to finish or have finished new shows launching next week. With that becomes sort of all the attached controversy, um, the big things that are sort of seven is back in the game with Dancing with the Stars, All-Stars, after sort of having a pretty rugged start to the year where a couple of shows just didn't engage with audiences at all. And, you know, Married at First Sight continues to dominate the uh, landscape. That's just about to end. And 10 will be back in the game, um, they hope, with a new season of MasterChef. What have you been watching out of the big uh, franchises, Andrew? Well, I always watch Dancing with the Stars. It's always been my favourite reality show. It's the only reality show I watch every single episode of. But I've got to say to you, I don't want to watch it three nights a week. <laughs> it's my favourite reality show and I can re- I can sit there on a Sunday night and love every minute of it. And then on Monday night I was like, oh, it's on again. So I watched it again and by the time it got to Tuesday I was like, I don't want to watch this show three nights a week. And I think Seven have no doubt discovered this themselves looking at the ratings. The show started great on Sunday night and dipped sharply on Monday and Tuesday. So I think they need to be really careful about their formats. They've already just admitted that they will bring Holy Moly back next year, their putt-putt show, golf show, but they've already said it's only a once-a-week format. They understood that there are some shows that should only be on once a week, and I suspect Dancing with the Stars is one of those. Yeah, it's the same sort of problem they had with Holy Moly, isn't it, uh, earlier this year? Yeah. Where people seem to be willing to to give up uh, one night to watch it, but probably not more than that. I mean, if they end up with uh, a few of these shows, you could still do. They want to be in the game as everybody wants to be. They want to go Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, 7.30pm reality formats. Well, you know what? You could do Holy Moly on a Sunday night, Dancing with the Stars on a Tuesday night, find something else for Monday. You know, it's like you just have to be creative here. Not every TV format uh, should be on TV three nights a week, but you could run three of them for six weeks and give them one night each. So they just need to be creative about it. Watch out, Angus Ross. Uh, Andrew McCarter is ready to go into a programming role. Uh, tell me, do you miss the the live sort of voting element where the audience gets a say in um, in who will go, who will stay? I've got to say no. I think one of the great things about pre-recording it, it let, let's face it, when Dancing with the Stars would start and you had all those dancers night one, sometimes it would go for two and a half hours. One night I think it went for two hours, 45 minutes. That's too long. I actually really liked the edit down to a snappy 90 minutes. It worked in a snappy format. And, you know, you probably throw a couple of Daryl Summers gags on the cutting room floor and, you know, the whole thing was pacey. Look, I did miss not seeing Chong Lim there as the conductor for the orchestra, but, uh, you know, 
they're, they're doing it. They're, they're wanting. They're bringing the show back, and this is an expensive show to make, and they're looking to cut costs. And you can cut costs by live TV, uh, and you probably cut costs by not having an orchestra and pre-recording the musical. Um, but yes, did it work as an edited down ninety minutes? Yes, it did. Yeah, you lose that sort of that dangerous element where you wonder why. What if somebody falls over, really messes up a routine? Which you know, would they reshoot if that happened? in a pre-record, I'm not too sure. But that never really happened, did it, in the live ones? Everybody pretty much got through their routines. There'd be a couple of spills, but nothing sort of major. Come on. When somebody <laughs> fell down the stairs in a rehearsal, <laughs> namely Fifi Box, they played it forever when she did it. And even when she came back after all these years, they went, oh, Fifi, remember when you fell <laughs> down the stairs and showed it again? So, yes, I don't think the dangerous element of it would be lost. They would still um, air those, you know, if they could get some mileage out of it. Um, the another show which has just returned, and they gee, they make a lot of episodes of this, which uh, means a lot of artwork for the host Arn's brush with fame. Um, amazingly successful, and they've flipped it to Tuesday. Has it always been Tuesday? I think it, no, maybe it has always been Tuesday. Yeah, look, I I do, I do feel that there was a, a night change in there somewhere. Yeah, maybe but when um, I think that's been running longer than Hard Quiz. Yeah. Maybe it used to be Wednesday. When Hard Quiz established itself on Wednesdays, maybe they flipped it to Tuesday. It also feels to me like this series of Arn is the biggest series yet. I think he's got 13 episodes. I don't ever remember it being this long before. And, look, let's face it, this is the most magnificent TV show. I don't think I've ever watched an episode of it and not been hugely impressed by what I've learned. Even seeing Kate Ritchie on it, you think, oh, what can we say about Kate Ritchie now after mm. being 20 years in Summer Bay. But sure enough, uh, she actually had some really revealing things to say about that in retrospect. And then what a get this week, Jane Seymour. When she said, I'm giving you a few exclusives <laughs> here, she was not kidding. Like she really opened up in that conversation. And then at the end you get those incredible portraits that he does. Like I would call this like the best interview show on Australian TV at the moment. And uh, I note with interest that the Kamal episode, which was scheduled to air as I think episode 12, has been brought forward. Gee, I wonder why they would do that, James. Why would Kamal suddenly be in the news? Anyway, Kamal's the... Uh, the next uh, topic of Arn, and I'm sure we'll all be watching that very carefully next Tuesday night on the ABC and iView. I love how the guests really understand the format and they, they come prepared to deliver some content, don't they? And, yeah, yeah, you're right, Jane Seymour, for me that was probably the best episode I've ever seen. I haven't seen them all, but I've seen a lot of them. And that she was just so good and, and so into it and just said story after story. And, uh, well, what an amazing career. I mean, you forget about things like, you know, um, Dr. Queen Medicine Woman, you know. Yeah. How big that was and the, the stories about how she got into that and what the, the friendships and the animosity with the co-star at one stage. Uh, it was incredible stuff. So it was really good. And, uh, yeah, and the portrait at the end was was good too. It was, um, I mean, he bangs them out, obviously. It takes longer than half an hour. But they, he still does them pretty quickly and they're amazing pieces of work. 
And how interesting too, because Jane Seymour was here in Australia making a movie during coronavirus. She did her two weeks quarantine and this was right back at the beginning. And I just see that uh, news has uh, burst today that she's got a new series through Acom TV. She's going to be doing an Irish thriller called Harry Wilde in which she'll play um, a retired English professor who uh, ends up getting involved in the cases of her son, who's a detective. Great idea. Uh, Jane Seymour's a very smart woman. She knows how to pick projects and keep herself uh, still working after all these years. It's great to see. One program that's starting, I think, next Monday is The Cook-Up with Adam Liao. If I get that right, yes. Liao. Yeah. Um, I think it's SBS's biggest ever commission, 200 episodes, I think, from memory. Yep. And it would be one of the biggest commissions ever on Australian TV, I would have thought, going out uh, weeknights at 6pm. No, 7pm, and it's going out weeknights at 7pm on SBS Food oh, Channel. SBS, oh, it's on the Food Channel. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Wow. Well, that's incredible. That's interesting. So that is a big commission to put on your food channel, isn't it? It really is. Monday to Friday, stripping at 7pm, key time slot. They uh, obviously, they'll repeat it at night at 10pm. And, uh, yeah, this is a huge commission for their food channel. It goes up against their news, of course. Um, yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you corrected me on that because I, I didn't get that. So I was thinking 6 o'clock weeknights. I wonder if they'll give it a rerun on the main channel at all just to, to make sure it sort of gets as many people as possible. Yeah, I wonder. I can't see it here at the uh, moment. It's not scheduled, but I think maybe in the future perhaps. It- oh, actually, no, you're right, James. They're repeating it at 3.30pm on the SBS channel of an afternoon. So, yeah, the okay. SBS audience watching through the day might discover it there as well. Yeah. Now, I wanted to use that to segue into you mentioned in your column today, I think, Adam on Twitter, yeah. um, how, how, how good he is, and also wanted to raise uh, Magda Sabansky also on Twitter, two, two people who really get the um, who really get what it's all about, use it to sort of great effect and yep. aren't, and aren't sort of ruffled by the bullies and the, and the people that get on there that, that can sort of rough you up a little bit. Yeah. I mean, we've seen this week that Magda Shabansky, as the presses like to label it, she's been under fire um, for what she said. But, you know, it's really interesting that what she had to say about this picture of the Prime Minister and his wife, Sean McAuliffe had something to say about that picture too. And Sean McAuliffe was, you know, um, had a lot more to say about it that Magda did, but suddenly the story became about Magda. I can't help thinking that this is just another example of trying to divert attention from what's really happening here. I don't think it was a story. I I, I still can't understand why Magda ended up on a current affair having to explain herself to Tracy Grimshaw about what I think was a fairly innocuous tweet Um, but she now seems to be getting this label of someone that, you know, there's a group of people that seem to be out to get her. And this has kind of been happening to Magda ever since she came out and kind of got involved in the same-sex marriage debate several years ago. She's, She's made herself a bit of a target 
But as we heard the other night on TV, she knows she's a target. She doesn't care. She said she's a 60-year-old woman that's going to keep going on Twitter and if she's got something to say, she's going to say it. Yeah, look, I love that. That interview with Tracy was great, I thought, and and what Magda was saying and explaining about the Twitter platform. And, yeah. and I think a lot of people blame Twitter as saying, oh, look, it's Twitter does this, Twitter does that. Well, it's ridiculous. It's, it's like saying, oh, keyboard's to blame for somebody sending rude letters or something. It's it's how people use that platform. I mean, Twitter's a brilliant, um, I think it's a brilliant addition to um I know, the world of communication, you can use it for lots of things, getting messages out. It's great for news, great for information. But as always, it's something that's available to everybody. There will be some people who abuse it and, you know, just sort of, I don't know, aren't very friendly and, and annoying. But Magda has a great attitude. Just don't let them upset you, you know. Just yeah. ignore it, turn your back on it, you know. Don't, don't let them get to you. Uh, and that's probably easier to say than to do for a lot of people. But you can, I think if you're in the right mindset, you, you can just, you know, survive and thrive on Twitter. I agree with you. I mean, Chris Yulman uh, gets up in the morning now and says, good morning, sewer rats, and talks <laughs> about how everyone on Twitter is a sewer rat. And, yes, there's some nasty stuff that goes down, but Magda Zhabansky is also absolutely right in saying a lot of good things get done through Twitter. And I'm like you, James. I use Twitter to get news. And sometimes I get the media's version of the news, and then there's a bunch of people that go, hang on a second, why is this person saying this? And they suddenly do some research and you get an alternate view to the news. So, you know, there's there's good and bad with uh, all social media services. It's how you choose to use it. Yeah, it's like anything. You choose your news source that you think is reputable. Yeah. You know, there's there's good and bad news everywhere, if you if you like, depending on your your sort of political slant or whatever, I guess. But but you can decide what you want to sort of follow. And I note that all these journalists that keep saying that Twitter is a sewer are still on there, yes, no. So uh, if it's such a terrible place to be, if you don't like swimming there, get out. Yeah. Now, you also mentioned um, to me this week about uh, Beverly Wang writing yeah. a, a review about Bluey. Explain to me what happened there. Well, this is now, uh, I've just seen it on morning TV today. This is the latest in inverted commas furor because <laughs> Beverly Wang has written a story and everyone's leapt on one tiny paragraph at the end and she even says as she gets to this paragraph, I know that this is going to sound controversial, but all Beverly Wang said was she wrote this story about Bluey on the ABC website and said what a beautiful show it was and how it teaches kids such wonderful things about family and how she as an adult has cried during two episodes. She's found it so emotional and touching. And all she says at the end is, you know, but wouldn't it be nice if uh, the world of Bluey could just be opened up a little bit and maybe there could be some disabled people in the neighbourhood, maybe there could be a single parent family. That's all she said. And, of course, that then goes through the prism of, prism of the media as she's saying that Bluey's not diverse enough and now we need to have different coloured dogs. I heard them on morning TV this morning laughing about it. It's like go back and read the article. She didn't say she wanted different coloured dogs. She actually said some specific things like could there be a disabled dog and what would be wrong with that? I tell you what, I bet you Kurt, uh, Kurt Fernley, the host of One on One and Dylan 
Alcott, uh, I bet you they would agree with that, that if they were little boys in wheelchairs, they'd love to see their favourite cartoon and have a character come through on a wheelchair. I think we need to stop getting so upset about having these conversations because these conversations are being had for a reason and, you know, let's not shoot the messenger that says these things. And just it's just a suggestion. She wrote this glowing review <laughs> of Louie and all people took from it was, oh, here's someone from the ABC whinging that the show isn't diverse enough. That's not what Beverly Wayne said. Just on that, you mentioned uh, Kurt Fernley and One on One. Great episode this week with Adam Hills. Ah, very funny. He started off, he introduced him, he said, oh, welcome, welcome to the show, Will Anderson, you know. It was, and it just, it just it broke Adam Hills up. It was very funny. So, yeah, look, it's a great episode and they cover a lot of the ground you've just been talking about, so look out for that one. Yeah. Look, we're going to talk about a new uh, drama coming to Foxtel and Binge, the Mayor of Easttown. Yeah. But before we get into that, could I just revisit a couple of things we mentioned on the last podcast? Sure. I've now finished both of them. The first thing I wanted to talk about was The Serpent. Well, I think I'd seen maybe one or two eps when we last spoke. I finished it this week and, I look, this has just blown me away completely. I... I more than any series I can remember for, for a few years, you know. It was just, um, and it was intense. And I think you mentioned to me it was difficult to watch at times maybe, but, yeah, it, it freaked me out and made me very uneasy about what he got up to. But that sort of drew me in even more. Um, and and the characters, Jenna Coleman as Charles Sobrage's sort of long-suffering girlfriend has just almost hypnotised by him, isn't she? she yeah. and, and she plays it so well. She looks almost like she's in a trance for, for much of the series. And But she just gets right into that character so much. You don't really think of her as Jenna Coleman anymore, do you? You just think of her as um, was a Marie-Andre Leclerc who was, you know, his fiancé um, for a right through all those those horrible years and she was his accomplice too. I mean, yeah. she's certainly very guilty um, almost as much as he was. Um, but she's so good. And then the, I think the real star of the show, though, was probably that, that Dutch um, embassy official who really is the only person who was keen on pursuing the investigation. Look, it nearly cost him his job. He ran up against so many brick walls. Uh, his name was Herman Nippenberg, played wonderfully by Billy Howie, who was actually in Mother, Father, Son as Richard Gere's son. Wow. Wow. That's him. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that'd do my head in too because, again, he's someone who gets so much into the role. You know, you, you just think of him as a as a Dutch embassy official, he is just so good at it. Um, I totally thought he was a Dutch actor watching it. I watched the first episode and was massively creeped out by it. And right. then um, when you said you'd finished it and loved it, I watched another one and a half last night. And episode two really changes what you saw in episode one, particularly yeah. with the Jenna Coleman character. And oh. now it's like, oh, wow, it's really creeping me out. Yeah, it's no. so disgraceful what they're doing to those people, you know, um, and I find it really creepy. But, yeah, I'm there now. I'll, I'll finish, finish it this weekend. It's magnificent. I agree. 
Yeah, look, I think I shot my mouth off about a few things after watching the first episode. So Jenna Coleman, I think I said something like she stands around, doesn't have a lot to do, which is probably pretty right in that first episode. But, wow, does she take off from episode two, you know? Does she ever? She really comes into her own and such a central part of the whole story. And I remember having a go at the music in the first episode too. Um, well, did they they fix that pretty quick too? There's some <laughs> there's some classic tunes from the era, some French music from the era, and also some sort of rock and roll. Look, I don't want to give away spoilers because a lot of people won't have got to the end. But that last episode, stay till the very the final credits. See it all the way through. Don't go phew and look. I've I've got to have a breather and, and flick it off. Right. Stay to the end. It's amazing what they, they deliver right at the very end and alter this sort of Rolling Stones song, uh, a track called Moonlight Mile from the Sticky Fingers album. It's just such a brilliant way to end the series. So, look, if you if you haven't dipped into it or you tried it and um, gave up, stay with it. I, I, I think you'll be rewarded. Yeah, Serpent on Netflix. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. The other thing I wanted to quickly mention was a teacher, which, again, I think we referred, talked about in the last um, podcast we did. Again, I think I'd only seen a couple of episodes. I stuck with that, went all the way through. Have you seen the end of it? Did you watch it? Oh, I haven't seen the last episodes yet. Okay. Well, it's sort of, you think it might run out of steam when the sort of the, the relationship between the teacher and her student is sort of exposed which I think happens, I think there's 10 eps. That happens around episode five or six, and you think, oh, the aftermath won't be very exciting. But it's actually, it is, because the show ends up 10 years after they initially get together. Oh, and it's, wow. And so it's quite fascinating. I think it's something worth staying with. Uh, Kate Marr, we talked about, plays the teacher, Claire Wilson. Nick Robinson is her student, Eric Walker. And... Um, you know, Claire Wilson, the, the teacher, she's really a predator, you know. She she just does it all wrong. I mean, some people might look at it and think, oh, look, he was an adult, he was 18. But, you know, she had, I think, a duty of care as a teacher just yeah. to not go in places they actually went. Um, so I think it's worth sticking with her. Someone else who's a bit of a scene stealer is a guy called MC Ganey, who I don't know a lot about, but a US character actor who's been in things like um, Lost. He was spent a few years in Days of Our Lives. He plays her father in the series. Oh. I think he's in about three or four episodes. So MC Ganey, he was also in the movie of Dukes of Hazard. So a very, very versatile actor. So look out for him. So, yeah, look, I recommend that. That's also on Binge and Foxtel, a teacher. Yeah. What's his name, the actor you've just told me about? Initials M. C and then Gainey, I think it's oh, G- yeah, right. G-A-I-N-E-Y. Yep, yep, yeah. I had a Got quick a look. Character his, actor. Yeah. Quick look yeah. at his profile. And he spent a few years in um, Days of Our Lives. Yeah, right. So yeah, no, he does some great work. Great work. So that's worth seeing. Now look, let's let's get on to uh, Mayor of Easttown. And it's yeah. interesting how Foxtel are marketing this. They're really pushing it as a binge. Um, I think I call it a binge priority. They've identi- they identify certain series as as to helping grow the binge audience, and they think this one real will really do well. Um, I've watched the first episode. I've got a few comments, but but tell me about what what you think about it. 
Well, I didn't love the first episode. I've got to admit, I was really struggling with that first episode going, oh, no, here we go again. I've seen all this before. The American small town that's seen better days, all the dysfunctional families, everyone's drinking beer. It's cold, it's raining, it's winter. The teenagers are all bored. And then, of course, the dead women start turning up, some of them naked. I was like, oh. Of course, Kate Winslet, who I love, has got this awful hair in it, which is, you know, she's had the hair blonded and she hasn't had the roots touched up for years and she can see that she's just kind of this broken woman. It's like, oh, really? I almost didn't watch episode two, but I did. And the next thing I'd watched five episodes. So HBO, there's seven episodes and they've sent me, they only sent the press five episodes, so there's two episodes to go. Wow, doesn't it get there? It's, it's a real slow burn. You've got to stick with it and go, yeah, where are we going? Because you don't know where you're going with this. And there are twists. And, of course, in the end, I just kept watching it because of Kate Winslet. Um, it's magnificent and I can't wait to see what the last two episodes reveal because episode five ended on an absolute humdinger. Okay, well, yeah, so I've, I've only watched that first episode. Um, I watched it last night, so it's still pretty fresh in my mind. Yeah, like you, it was, it was pretty grim. It reminded me of the sort of setting of, was it Manchester by the Sea? Yeah. That sort of um, hard luck suburb. Um, working class America. Yeah. The brightest thing about it is that it's that was that it's near the sea. Um, I don't know if there's too many redeeming features about the town where um, um, Kate Somewhere Winslet. Somewhere in Pennsylvania it is. Oh, okay, yeah, she yeah. plays a detective. Yeah, she looks perfect for the role though, doesn't she? She's not glammed up at all. Not glammed no. up at all. Um, there's a few nice gags about, you know, where they're living is not a great place. You know, there's... There's someone she sees, she said, oh, he's from out of town, and her friend goes, oh, I like him already, you know. <laughs> but, um, the, yeah, look, I, I was thinking, look, it's okay, but the thing where it took off for me is when Guy Pierce arrives. Yeah, right. I, I sat up and suddenly thought, oh, hello, the, the, this is going, because I forgot he was coming. I forgot he was in the cast. I'd read it, but then I, was, I just was out of my mind, and suddenly he appears. He's sitting in the bar. Look, the dialogue's a bit... It's not great. It's a bit, I don't know, it's a bit, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. It's not great. It's a bit awkward when they meet him. I mean, he's a, a creative writer teacher, right, sitting at the bar by himself with a, with a novel. You think, yeah, as if in, the, in this town in Pennsylvania, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but that, that, that didn't matter, you know. It's, um, I, I thought it was okay. Look, you don't have to believe everything. It was just enjoyable. But I thought it really added another dimension to the series. You thought, okay, this might go somewhere. And then when that body turns up at, right at the very end of that first episode, then you think, oh, wow, okay, this this will get interesting. There's already quite some interesting dynamics by some of the characters. There's a, a young mother, um, you know, and the, the associated uh, Kate Winslet's family, her ex-husband, her daughter, who's played by that Aussie actress. I and think. Lori Rice. Yeah, she's she's really interesting. Yeah. You can see that relationship's going to be sort of pretty amazing how that develops over the over the series. So and of course it reunites uh, Kate Winslet and Guy Pierce after Mildred Pierce. And of course, it's even more than that, because 
Kate Winslet has admitted that when she was a young girl, she was a massive fan of Neighbours. <laughs> the first single that Kate Winslet ever bought was I Should Be So Lucky by Kylie Minogue because she was obsessed by Ramsey Street. So, you know, here's Guy Pearce and Kate Winslet now on their second uh, project together. And, you know, Guy Pearce isn't in it as much as you think. Oh, okay. Because you think, oh, I know where this is going episode <laughs> one. You know, they're going to have a romance. Stick with it, James. There's okay. more to tell with that story, and and I think even more with the episodes I haven't seen yet. Oh, gee, I have, maybe he's, he's not a doesn't come a nasty character, is he? Is he? Don't know. I've still got two eps to go. <laughs> no, no he's spoiler. not nasty yet. Well, oh, that could be a twist, couldn't it? Wow. By the way, I, I just saw Guy Pierce on the morning show. They were doing a segment about stars of Home and Away from Summer Bay to Hollywood. And let's face it, they've had a few, Isla Fisher, Chris Hensworth, Ryan Quanton, but Guy Pearce was in the package. Come on, guys. Home and Away can't take responsibility for Guy's success in Hollywood. He was he became a star through Neighbours and he went and spent a few months in Home and Away after Neighbours. I think that's a bit cheeky for Home and Away to be claiming Guy Pearce as one of their Hollywood stars. Okay, okay. Um, God, I don't know if there's much else on the menu here because I want to, I'll talk a little bit about 15 days and what else I'm going to be looking forward to and then you think of anything you want to leave us with today. But one thing I've just, because I've wrapped up a couple of things, I've wrapped up um, a teacher, I've wrapped up the serpent. Yeah. I've sort of been wondering what would be my next drama and I, I came across 15 days on BBC First. It's actually from 2019, but I think this is the first time it's been on here. Okay. It's, it's a Welsh drama set in like a, a country home in Wales where a family reunites after the death of the, I think it's the mother or was it the father? It's a pretty, um, you've got to watch it pretty carefully because there's, there's four children who return with their partners and there's sort of conflict over what happens with the will, who's going to get the property. Um, but it's interesting, though, it starts off with a murder of one of the children and then it goes back 15 days. So that's the then it, it progresses through the 15 days as the series goes through as you gradually find out who, I presume at the end, who was guilty of committing the murder you see in the first episode. But, look, I'll stick with it because I'm a, I'm a good sticker with shows. There's a lot of Welsh characters with lovely Welsh names who I don't know much about, but it's uh, it's intriguing, yeah. So it's um, it's um I'm going to stick with it. So it's 15 days. It's on BBC First. You can watch it on demand, of course, on Binge or Foxtel. Now, what about, James, you and Wakefield? So Wakefield oh, now yes, is beginning its terrestrial airing on the ABC. It begins on Sunday night, 8.30pm. It's all up on iView. I'm up yes. to episode six. I don't think that Wakefield is a show that you should binge. I think it was great that yeah. ABC put it up there for Easter's because you had four days to watch it. But I don't think it's a show that you should watch three or four episodes in a row. I think you should watch one episode, go away, let it you know, roll through your mind because there's a lot going on in it. And uh, so, yeah, I'm watching it slowly. It's pretty magnificent, but it's also a lot too. That's why I'm saying don't try and binge it. It's a lot. There's a lot of shit going down in that show. Wow, um, okay. But it's pretty magnificent and you've got to get back to it. 
Yeah, thanks for reminding me. I haven't started that at all yet, so that's that's a good thought. That'll be something for the for the weekend for me. You mentioned you watch of, of the seven thirty franchises. Probably Dancing with the Stars is the one you really stick with. Yeah, the one I usually stick with every year is Master Chef. Right. So uh, it's mixed feelings with the new season coming up. I obviously like watching it, but then I think, wow, there goes four nights a week. <laughs> I know. I know. So. Um, so there's that, but that, but the, you know, the cheat is you can sort of tape it and and if you um, fast forward through little bits and cut out bits here and there, it is a, a bit more manageable. And so I'm looking forward to that a new season of MasterChef. Look, I'm going to against my better wishes. <laughs> I guess I'm going to have to check out the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Oh, okay. I don't want to, James. You know, I had the cinema and I screened those Marvel movies and, God, they used to do my head in. <laughs> I went for like three hours and, oh. But, you know, at the end of one of those Avengers movies, I think it was a, a, I can't remember which one it was, but at the end of one of those Avengers movie, there was this scene maybe after the credits, which I think was a lead-in to the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I don't know all the characters, but there's only four episodes and I've got to go to Disney and finish watching WandaVision. And let's face it, it is number one on the charts. Um, it's, you know, Disney and Marvel know what they're doing. They've got a huge audience base out there. I'm just not really the comic book guy. You know, I just want to watch a Wonder Woman movie once a year and not really get into it. But, yeah, I, I might uh, have to check that out to see what all the fuss is about. Yeah, you won't be surprised to hear I've never been a Marvel guy, but um, I guess one thing that worries me is if I did watch one and enjoy it, I'd, you know, yeah. I could, be, could be hooked and you end up playing video games or something. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Use up too much time that I, that I don't have at present. Okay, Andrew, look, let's leave it there for this episode. Uh, great chatting with you again. Fantastic. And, uh, We'll catch up again soon. All right. Have a great week, James.